Section 17 of The Living Animals of the World, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sarah Mobley. The Living Animals of the World, Volume 2, Book 2, Chapter 16. Larks, Titmice, Honeyeaters, and Their Kindred by W.P. Pycraft. Confined almost entirely to the Old World, where they are represented by more than 100 species, many of which have undergone considerable specialization in the matter of plumage so as to enable them to live in desert regions. The larks constitute a well-marked group into the characters of which we need not enter here. The best-known member of the group is the skylark. Common throughout the British islands and of sober coloration, no bird is more universally beloved, and this largely on account of the sweetness of its song, which is second only to that of the nightingale. Poets and prose writers alike have sounded its praises, many in passages that will be remembered as long as their language lasts. The skylark is one of the few birds which sing while on the wing. The peculiar nature of the flight at this time all must have watched, entranced the while by the beauty of the song. Graham, in his Birds of Scotland, happily describes the nest as follows. The daisied lee he loves, where tufts of grass, luxuriant crown the ridge, there with his mate he founds their lowly house of withered bents and coarsest spear-grass next the inner work with finer and still finer fibres lays rounding it curious with its speckled breast this bird displays great affection for its young removing them under the fear of impending danger or if the nest is meddled with occasionally however the bird sits close instead of seeking safety by flight brighton enjoys the credit of consuming more larks than any other place in england except london it has been estimated that the number of larks annually entering the metropolitan markets alone reaches a total of four hundred thousand twenty thousand or thirty thousand being often sent together and the numbers eaten elsewhere in the country must be enormous quite as large indeed as abroad most are captured from the hosts which arrive on the east coast of scotland and england from the continent on approach of severe weather the birds making their appearance in thousands forming a constant and unbroken stream for two or three days in succession close allies of the larks the wagtails and pipits come next under consideration the former range over the old world but are unknown in australia and polynesia the pipits have a similar range but one species is found in and is peculiar to australia like wagtails pipits are unknown in polynesia only two species occur in america the wagtails are generally black and white gray and white gray with yellow breasts or yellowish green with yellow breasts in the last mentioned case as in some specimens of the yellow wagtail the yellow predominates these birds frequent streams and stagnant waters like the red and gray wagtails or cornfields and meadows as in the case of the yellow wagtail all these are commonly met within the british islands the pipits are duller colored than the wagtails have shorter tails and evince less fondness for the water the meadow rock and tree pipits are the commonest british species neither wagtails nor pipits are much given to perching but the tree creepers spend their lives upon trees some being specifically modified for this mode of life their tail feathers being stiff and terminating in sharp points 
By pressing its tail closely against the tree trunk up which it is climbing, the bird obtains a wonderfully reliable support. Beginning at the bottom of a trunk, creepers quickly work their way up in a spiral direction or sometimes in jerky zigzags, searching every crevice for tiny insects, their eggs, and larvae, and flitting from the higher branches when these are reached to the base of another tree. Creepers are mostly dull colored, but the wall creeper has crimson patches on the wings. This bird, which has occurred in Britain, haunts mountain cliffs. The tree creeper, a resident in Britain, builds its nest behind pieces of loose bark or under tiles or in crevices of trees, walls, or hollow branches. In this nest are laid from six to nine eggs, pure white, spotted with red, or with a creamy ground color, with the spots thicker around the large end intermediate in position between the creepers and the titmice are the nuthatches chiefly inhabitants of the northern parts of both hemispheres they extend as far south as mexico whilst in the old world they occur plentifully in the himalaya the largest species is found in the mountains of burma one species is frequently met with in england and occasionally in scotland but is unknown in ireland the english nuthatch may serve us as a type of the group its habits, writes Dr. Sharp, are a combination of those of the tit and woodpecker. Like the former bird, the nuthatch seeks diligently for its insect food on the trunks and branches of trees, over which it runs like a woodpecker, with this difference that its tail is not pressed into the surface of climbing a tree, nor does it generally ascend from the bottom to the top as a woodpecker so often does on the contrary a nuthatch will generally be found in the higher branches and will work its way down from one of the branches towards the trunk and is just as much at home on the underside of a limb as the upper its movements are like those of a mouse rather than of a bird and it often runs head downward or hangs on the underside of a branch and hammers away at the bark with its powerful little bill the noise produced by one of these birds when tapping a tree is really astonishing for a bird of its size and if undisturbed it can be approached pretty closely its general food consists of insects and in the winter the nuthatches join the wandering parties of tits and creepers which traverse the woods in search of food in the autumn it feeds on hazelnut and beech mast breaking them open by constant hammering and like the tits the nuthatches can be tempted into the vicinity of houses in winter and become quite interesting by their tameness the nuthatch nests in hollow trees plastering up the entrance with mud and leaving an aperture only just sufficient to enable it to wriggle in and out a remarkable nest may be seen at the british natural history museum it was built in the side of a haystack to which the industrious birds had carried as much as eleven pounds of clay and had thus made for themselves a solid nest in an apparently unfavorable position the titmice occur in one form or another all over europe asia and africa and in the new world as far south as southern mexico the family may be divided into true crested long-tailed and penduline tits and reedlings all but the penduline tits being represented in england of the true tits the best known is the blue tit which is no stranger even in london parks traveling in small bands throughout the autumn and winter they may frequently be met with during a country walk their presence being made known by a pretty tinkling little note this method of traveling is obviously advantageous for the discovery of food at this time is an arduous task 
and if undertaken individually, many would surely starve. As Professor Newton points out, a single titmouse searching alone might hunt for a whole day without meeting a sufficiency, whilst if a dozen are united by the same motive, it is hardly possible for the place in which the food is lodged to escape their detection, and when discovered, a few call notes from the lucky finder are enough to assemble the whole company to share the feast. One tree after another is visited by the active little rovers, and its branches examined. If nothing be forthcoming, away goes the explorer to the next that presents itself, merely giving utterance to the usual twitter that serves to keep the whole body together. But if the object of search be found, another chirp is emitted, and the next moment several members of the band are flitting in succession to the tree and eagerly engaged with the spoil. These little birds display great affection for their old nesting places, and instances on record where, so far back as 1785, a pair built their nest in a large earthenware bottle placed in the branches of a tree in a garden at Oxbridge, near Stockton-on-Tees. With two exceptions only, this bottle was tenanted by a pair of these birds every year till 1873. In 1892, Professor Newton, who had this account from Canon Tristram, was informed that the occupancy had ceased for four years. The long-tailed, or bottle-tit, is a British species deriving its name from the long tail. It is a pretty little bird, black and rose color above, with a rose-colored abdomen, and the head, throat, and breast white. It enjoys the distinction of being one of the smallest British birds, and is found in woods and plantations all over England, though less common in Scotland. These tits have a curious habit of roosting during the winter, six or seven huddling together in a row, with three or four others perched on their backs, and two or three on the top. The nest, which is placed in a tree or bush, is a model of industry. Oval in shape and roofed with a small aperture near the top, it is composed of moss, lichen, and hair, closely felted in line with an enormous collection of feathers, McGavory having counted 2,779 in a single nest. Other species of titmice occurring in Britain are the great marsh, coal, and crested tits. Whether the reedlings or bearded tits, as they are generally called, are really true titmice or peculiarly modified buntings is a moot point. There is but one species, which is British, though found also on the continent, but it is unfortunately becoming more and more rare every year. The general color of the upper parts is cinnamon rufous, except the head, which is pearly gray. Between the bill and the eyes hangs a tuft of long feathers, hence the name bearded tit. The underparts are white, tinged with yellow and pink, whilst the wings are variegated with white, black, and red. This tit lives in beds of reeds fringing the broads of the eastern counties of England, though even there it is now exceedingly rare. The same uncertainty that obtains with regard to the position of the reedlings confronts the ornithologist with regard to the affinities of the Lilliputian goldcrests. About six species are known from the northern and temperate parts of the Old and New Worlds, extending as far south in the latter as Mexico. Two occur in Britain. One, known simply as the Goldcrest, or Golden Crest in Wren, is fairly common. The other, the Firecrest, or Firecrested Wren, is much rarer, but differs very little from its relative in general appearance. The gold crest is olive green above, yellowish gray below, with a conspicuous crest of bright yellow and orange, banded on each side by two black lines. 
It has the distinction of being the smallest British bird, and it is partly on the account of its smallness and partly owing to its shy, retiring habits, seeking concealment among the foliage that it is so seldom seen, save by those who know where to look for it, and these may find it all the year round in suitable places. In the spring, this bird may be observed suspended in the air for a considerable time over a bush or flower, singing very melodiously, though few naturalists have ever witnessed this display. Mr. W. H. Hudson, one of these few, writes, I have observed the male in the love season, hovering just above the bush, in the topmost foliage of which its mate was perched and partly hidden from view. It is when engaged in this pretty aerial performance, or love dance, that the golden-crested wren is seen at his best. The restless, minute, sober-colored creature, so difficult to see properly at other times, then becomes a conspicuous and exceedingly beautiful object. It hovers on rapidly vibrating wings, the body in an almost vertical position, but the head bent sharply down, the eyes being fixed on the bird beneath, while the wide-open crest shines in the sun like a crown or shield of fiery yellow. When thus hovering, it does not sing, but emits a series of sharp, excited chirping sounds. The nest is a singularly beautiful structure made of fine, dry grass, leaves, moss, and spider's webs, woven closely together, lined with feathers, and suspended like a hammock beneath a branch of yew or fir. In this are laid from six to ten eggs of a pale yellowish-white, spotted and blotched with reddish-brown. The numbers of British goldcrests are vastly increased by the rival on the eastern coast of goldcrests from the continent. In autumn, writes Mr. Howard Saunders, immense flocks sometimes arrive on our east coast, extending quite across England in the Irish Channel and into Ireland. In 1882, the migration wave of this description, commencing on August 6th and lasting for 92 days, reached from the Channel to the Faroes. In 1883, the migration lasted 82 days, and again in 1884 for a period of 87 days. On such occasions, bushes and gardens on the coast are covered with birds as with a swarm of bees. Crowds flood around the lanterns of lighthouses, and the rigging of fishing smacks in the North Sea is thronged with weary travelers. In April, a return migration occurs. We pass down to the consideration of a few families of birds unknown in Britain, but interesting on account of the fact that they afford us another set of instances of adaptation to attain particular ends, so frequently to be met within nature. All the birds in question, though probably not related, have peculiarly modified tongues, apparently specially designed to aid in sucking up honey from flowers. The first group for consideration are the honey-eaters of New Zealand and Australia. So great is the transformation which the tongue in these birds has undergone that it forms one of the most elaborate organs of its kind, surpassing even that of the hummingbirds. A description of this organ without the aid of anatomical terms and diagrams would be useless. Suffice it to say it is long, capable of being thrust out of the mouth and brush-like. It is used to thrust up the tubes of honey-bearing flowers as well for the sake of the juice as for the insects gathered in such situations to feed on it. 
The best known of the honey eaters is the poe or parson bird of New Zealand. Glossy black in color with vivid green and blue reflections, it is rendered still more attractive by a pair of white tufts of feathers hanging from the front upper part of the neck. Whilst on the back of the neck in the same region, the feathers are of a loose structure, long and curled forwards. Other honey eaters are the white eyes, sunbirds, and flower peckers. The white eyes, so called from a ring of white feathers around the eye, have a wide distribution being found in Australia, India, Africa, Madagascar, and Japan. Besides honey, they are very partial to fruit, particularly figs and grapes, and also capture insects on the wing after the fashion of the flycatchers. The sunbirds correspond in the old world to the hummingbirds in the new, having, like the latter, a metallic plumage varied in its hues and wondrous in its beauty. But they are not entirely dependent upon this luster for their charm, for much of their splendor is gained from the non-metallic portion of the plumage, which is often vividly colored. The females are dull-colored, whilst the males lose their beauty in the winter season. These birds are inhabitants of the tropical regions of Africa, India, and Australia, and seem to revel in the burning rays of the noonday sun. Nearly allied to the sunbirds are the flower-peckers of the Indian and Australian regions. These are all small birds, remarkable as much for the beauty of their nest as for the splendor of their plumage. The nests are purse-like structures made of white cotton-like material and suspended from a branch instead of, as usual, resting on it. One of the most beautiful birds of the whole group, which includes numerous species, is the Australian diamond bird. Of a general ashy gray color, this species is splashed all over with spots of red, yellow, orange, and black, whilst the tail coverts are rich dark red. End of section 17